0: The <laughs> cat My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the Well, actually, before we get to today's interview, I wanted to make a brief announcement and address a comment that I've gotten from quite a few friends, listeners, and readers. When are you gonna update the intro to the show? You're no longer an American Ninja Warrior in training, you're an American Ninja Warrior. Now, for those of you that don't know, I recently completed my rookie run on American Ninja Warrior. The experience was amazing, but I'm just going to say this, the outcome, it's not what I've been working for these last several years. So while technically, yes, I have run the course, I always feel like there's more training to be done and a bigger goal that I have yet to achieve, which means that for now, I'm going to keep the intro as is. Also going to do my editor a favor and not make him fix it. This actually reminds me of a shirt that I used to wear when I was running Spartan races, and it said on the back, Spartan in training. And when I would wear it to races, people would say to me, hey, you wore the wrong shirt, you're not training anymore, you're here at the race. And my response was always, yeah, but I'm here today training for the next race. Which I believe is a good mindset that we need to have for any goal. There's always more to learn, new skills to acquire, more people to meet, and more to be done. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't reflect upon and be grateful for what we have already accomplished, but life is ultimately about the journey and not the destination. And I find that my life is the most fulfilling when I have a challenge ahead of me. No matter how far I end up making it on the show, if I am lucky enough to get on future seasons, I am always going to consider myself a constant ninja in training. So on that note, we can move on to today's show. When filmmaker Paul Del Vecchio reached out to me six months ago, he had a successful career as a high-end commercial editor, a director of photography, and a colorist. He had climbed to the top of the ladder in his corner of the world. The trouble was that he was at the top of the wrong ladder and he didn't want to be there anymore. So how did he end up there like so many others do? Well, simple. Paul said yes to practically every opportunity that came his way his entire career, an answer that was driven largely out of fear. He found that every time he tried to pursue his true calling of writing and directing, he had nothing left to give to his own projects because he gave all of his mental, physical, and creative energy to other people's projects. In fact, Paul struggled so much to get into the rhythm of writing again that he convinced himself that he had run out of ideas. So then how did Paul become the absolute productivity ninja that he is now? Well, He is here today to candidly and honestly share his story and tell in his own words, the steps that he took to turn his career around and rediscover his own creative flow. So if you are stuck in a similar place, you too can get back on track. All right, without further ado, my conversation with editor, writer, and director, Paul Delvecchio. I'm here today with Paul Delvecchio, who is a promo and commercial editor, and you're also a colorist in the New York City area. You're also a DP, And you happen to be currently making the transition to becoming a director, a writer, and a producer for feature films and scripted television. Which means we're going to have a lot of different things to talk about today. Paul... It is a pleasure to finally have the opportunity to have this conversation with you today.
1: Yes, this is awesome. I'm excited. It's going to be fun.
0: Yeah, I'm excited as well. And I'm, I'm going to tell you something that I haven't told you yet. I knew six months ago we were recording this podcast. <laughs> really? I knew six months ago when we had our introductory call way back when, when you reached out, you and I, we've known each other in the past. We'd been on a, that post-show episode eons ago. I don't even remember what decade ago, but it was a long time ago. You and I were, um, you know, guests on the, the same uh, post-production show. And we've kind of kept in touch via social media. And from a distance, I know that you were every once in a while leaving a a comment about a podcast or an article or whatever it might be. And I just, I always kind of had this gut feeling. I'm like, when the time is right, I think Paul's going to reach out. I just, I have this feeling and then you and I had our introductory call, and I knew as soon as I was done, I wish I'd written it down to prove it, but I'm like, (laughs) oh, Paul's going to be on the podcast. I can so (laughs) see this coming. And here we are. So I'm so glad that uh, that premonition came to become reality.
1: That's awesome. You know, it's funny because uh, one of the first things that when I reached out, I I thought, you know, when we we talked about the program, I knew just from talking to you that I didn't want to be I guess, one like a student, and I don't know if you've had students like this. I'm sure, you know, you've had maybe, you know, a couple, but uh, a student that goes through the program and then just disappears and you never hear from them again. So I've got uh, those.
0: I'm not immune to that. I definitely have a handful of students that poof, gone, never hear from them again. I can only do so much. I can lead a horse to water. I can give them the best water in the world. I can teach them about all the various forms of water and how to how to optimize their drinking habits. I can't <laughs> get them to drink. So yes, it happens even to me. Um, I knew you wouldn't be one of those
1: though. Yeah, I, I kind of, you know, just from the, the first conversation, I was like, all right, you can't, like, I don't know. I just, I felt like I need to make Zach proud. I don't want him, <laughs> he's gonna, you know, he's gonna spend, what is it, 12 weeks?
0: Uh, Well, it's now been 20 weeks, 20 of 24 weeks, but the initial uh, program that we started with was 12 weeks.
1: Yes. Right. And I didn't want, you know, you to feel like, okay, I spent 12 weeks on him and now he's gone.
0: I go out of my way to make sure that that doesn't happen and I'm not successful all the time, but I do my best to to maintain a community where people want to stay engaged. They want to provide value to each other. We all lift each other up and grow. And I have some people that have been actively engaged for years, others that are brand new. And yeah, I've got some that do the 12 weeks and never hear a word from them again. No responses to emails. I'm totally fine with that. Everybody's journey is the same, but I want to bring up something that's really important already about our conversation. This mindset that I've got to impress Zach. We (laughs) talked about this extensively, and there's this framework that I've talked about many, many times called the four tendencies. What's your tendency, Paul? Obliger. You, my friend, are an obliger. (laughs) And this is where we started. To quote one of the very first things you said on our intro call, I accidentally fell into what I'm doing now because I'm always trying to meet other people's deadlines and work on other people's projects. So let's start there. I want to talk about why you came to me in the beginning and where your career was and how you ended up there.
1: I mean, I, I came to you because I just wasn't happy where where I was at in my career. I guess a lot of other people would say, oh, wow, you do some pretty cool stuff because, you know, I'm working on commercials and promos and some of them are for, you know, bigger brands. And, I guess some people would feel that that's success. But to me, it didn't feel like success because I didn't want to be in that arena. You know, like I climbed the wrong ladder, I felt like. And so I heard you talking about this on a podcast and I was like, okay, that's me. He's talking about me. (laughs) So... I was like, I have to, I have to reach out to Zach and, you know, I, I want to hear more about the program.
0: So what do you think led you to accidentally climbing to the top of the wrong ladder? Cause you're pretty high on a specific ladder. And like you said, from the outside perspective, a lot of people would say, gee, must be nice to be Paul working on these huge branded projects for huge companies. And you get to be a DP and a colorist and you're doing 3D modeling. Like, man, I would kill for that. How can you, how can you not be grateful for all of that?
1: I, I definitely am grateful. The thing is that it's, just not where I ultimately want to be, you know? And I got here, you know, so I started out making films and then it just, it just kind of led into, well, you know, it was like, okay, well now I have to make money. So I have to figure out, you know, what I can do to make money. And it just, you know, commercials, being in New York, uh, commercials and advertising is huge. So I was like, okay, well, I'll try to get a job doing that. And then it just snowballed from there, <laughs> and I just, you know, I kept on going down that path, and, and then I realized this is not where I want to be. What
0: was the magic word that helps you continue to climb the wrong ladder? It's an obliger's favorite word in the uh, English oh, language. Yes. Yes. This is something you and I have talked a lot about. You've talked about this idea of finances, and I need to keep saying yes to the next paycheck. And one of the things that you and I dug into pretty deeply is this fear of saying no because I don't know if I can afford it. Right.
1: Yeah. That was uh, one of the key things. Um, Certain things happened in the past, like I had a, a car repossessed at one point because I couldn't pay my bills. And, you know, so I'm sure, you know, people have been there or at varying degrees of that. You know, when something like that happens, you're like, well, I got to make sure I do whatever I can to not make that happen. But there was no strategy behind that. It was all fear, you know? So what you taught me was strategy and the fear just controlled everything. And that's why whenever... A new job came along I, w- I would never say no I would say yes yeah I'll do it
0: and ultimately like you said it, it was much more of an emotional decision and I too have been in exactly the same place where I was making emotional decisions essentially out of PTSD from having gone through similar situations where that anxiety and that whether it's depression or it's guilt or it's shame I was feeling all of them um, and this isn't something I talk about a lot but I've I've mentioned it on the podcast so it's not like I'm revealing something I've never talked about before but I started to build my my own post-production facility, like a small boutique house that had like five or six editors and assistants. And it was all my own money and six figures worth of debt right before the economy crashed in 2008 and 2009. And I lost all of it. And I lost my house all while I was having my first kid. So I know what it feels like to be wrapped up in financial anxiety and feeling like your entire world is falling apart. And that still to this day drives my financial decisions, where if you were to look at me saying, "Ah, I don't know if I want to buy that. It's too expensive. They might look at the bank account and say, dude, like, what are you worried about? But that, that PTSD, that post anxiety of having gone through that, it's never going to leave. But now that I have a strategy, I can let the rational mind Take precedence. And yes, the the fear and the anxiety will always be there. But because I have a strategy, and mo- more importantly, I have a system. We've talked a lot about systems in the program. I have a financial system, so I don't really have to worry about it. It's like, yeah, yeah, I feel it, but I'm not going to listen to that voice or that fear anymore.
1: Right. You shared with me uh, a system to use, and I implemented it right away. You know, I read, you know, I think it was like two books that um, you recommended to me, Some read them. And, you know, uh, I had a slow, January, um, you know, it was like small things here and there, but usually I would freak out and I would be like, "Oh my god, I have to!" You know, w- what am I doing? I, I remember, it, it usually happens like every about every year or so. There's always like a slow point at some point, and it's usually at the beginning of a year. And I just remember every year, and for the past like five, 10 years, whenever I I hit that point, I'm like, "This is it," and 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 I'm scared and I don't know what to do. This year was nothing. I was like, okay, well, it, it. my mindset was different because I was like, okay, y- you know, you have a system now and you know how long you're going to be able to hold off for and, and not take a, or, you know, not um, have a job for. And so I just was like, okay, well, I know, you know, I'm good until this month and you don't really have anything to worry about. And, you know, in the meantime, you can work on other things. You can work on your scripts, you can work on, you know, fixing your reel, improving this, whatever. And it was liberating in a way, you know, because I I just felt that I didn't have to be afraid because I knew something else was coming in. And, you know, the beginning of the year is always slow for most companies, especially in advertising, because, you know, most people are, you know, just coming out of the new year and trying to figure out what they're going to do for the, you know, for the following year or the, the coming year. So it was, it's pretty, pretty amazing.
0: <laughs> well, I, I, I love to hear that. And by the way, uh, P.S. to anybody listening, this is not a paid endorsement. I want to make that very clear, but um, you know, I'll, I'll let you say what you want to say, honestly, but I'm certainly not uh, not asking you to, to endorse anything. Uh, one thing that I had mentioned to you before we start recording, I want to make sure that anybody listening knows. I want to go a little bit deeper into these tactics. I want to talk about what were those books that I recommend and what are some of the systems you put in place. And when we talk about writing and writing habits, I want to get into that stuff. I just don't want to. Get into the weeds yet. So I'm going to put a pin in that. So if somebody's like, well, that's great, but what books, what system? Like, tell me, like, <laughs> I'm going to, I want you to walk away with all those resources, but where I want to go backwards a little bit first. And I want to go to the fact that you're not just quote unquote, an editor and a colorist and a DP, you have directing experience. And there was a point in your career when you were thinking to yourself, oh man, I think I've got my calling card and now the opportunities are just going to start coming. So let's talk about that point of your career, because that's been really pivotal, understanding that and taking a different approach now.
1: Yeah. uh, uh, So I made a short film for the Diary of the Dead. It's a uh, George Romero film. So it was for the DVD release of that film. What happened was And I'm going to date myself here, but it was the Weinstein Weinstein Company, uh, George Romero, and MySpace. (laughs) Wow. Talk about dating yourself (laughs)
0: with all those in one little bundle.
1: MySpace um, was like kind of the driving platform behind it. And they put out the word that they were doing this contest. George Romero fans and filmmakers could make their own film, enter it into the contest. And then the Weinstein Company would pick the top 20 and then... George Romero would watch those and he would pick, well, his, you know, the, the top five and also the grand prize winner. So we ended up winning that contest. And that was the point where I didn't think people were going to come, you know, like pounding and knocking down my door saying, we got to work with this guy. But I thought it would open up doors. You know, I thought, um, it would be easier to start conversations and it was, but it wasn't, the opportunities weren't what I thought they would be.
0: And one of the things you mentioned in one of our earlier calls, and this was very specific, I called it out on the very first time you and I talked. You said to me, the opportunities weren't coming. And I remember telling you on that call, we need to change that approach and that mindset. Because if you're waiting for the opportunities to come, they're never going to come. And I want to teach you to create those opportunities. And you're not, you're not directing the next George A. Romero zombie project yet, but what's changed in the last six months in your mind and your approach between why is none of this coming to me? What's your mindset now?
1: Well, now it's, you know, you have to create your own opportunities. I know I have to, to leverage that. You know, it was something that, that happened and, you know, we won the the contest and that's a great thing, but it's on me to leverage that. And so that was A mindset shift. Like I I already felt that, you know, I needed to create my my own opportunities. And that's why I was making short films. I I guess the the mindset shift was more doing more to create your own opportunities, you know, like reaching out to people and things that I wasn't doing because frankly, I was afraid to do them.
0: (laughs) I think it was a combination of being afraid to do them. But also you kept telling me, I don't have the time i saying, I just don't have the time for this because I'm commuting and I'm doing this and I'm, I'm giving everybody my ideas. And there's just, there isn't enough hours in the day because I'm just exhausted.
1: That, yeah, that, that, that was another thing. Yeah. Um, that, that came about when I started, um, doing more freelance work because, you know, obviously I was scared to say no. So that led to, you know, always being booked. And then when I wasn't booked, worrying about how, what I was going to book next. So it it just was this vicious cycle of of like, I need to find time. And I know you hate that because there is no finding time. Oh, yes, that's one of my pet peeves. (laughs)
0: There's a lot of things you can find out there. Time isn't one of them. You want to find time? Open up your calendar app. Everybody's got the same amount. We all have the same cards that were dealt 24-7. That's it, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You're not going to find more. You got to learn how to prioritize it or better manage it which is, you know, obviously something that you and I have have dug into deeply over the last six months. (laughs) Um, So another thing that you brought up, and I know that I've uh, I've kind of been uh, very politely nudging this on Facebook to you more than once, um, because anybody that follows you on Facebook or social media, you've become Frankenstein's monster. (laughs) Like every day, wrote another 10 pages, look at my Trello board, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And I, what's the thing that I have been nudging you about more than once?
1: (laughs) Um, Productivity porn?
0: Well, yes, that's one of them, Uh, (laughs) but that was kind of a side thing, but, and I'm actually gonna play this for you. I want you to listen to your own words in your own voice six months ago. Oh no, (laughs) okay. And I I want you to pick out the key phrase that you and I have beaten the crap out of since you said this. So this was back in uh, September of 2020. So uh, I want you to listen to this and I want you to tell me what really sticks out for you.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, um, I could wake up a little bit earlier so I can get that half an hour in and do exactly what you said. I could I could uh, put my notepad either right next to the coffee machine or you know at my desk or better yet where I eat breakfast you know at the table. <laughs> Just always have my notebook there, and I can you know write ideas for thirty minutes. Which it's interesting that you also brought up um, executing on my own ideas versus uh, other people's, because when I first I, I was such um, I was like you know so in the habit of doing you know, work for other people that when I started trying to do my own work again, which was um, I don't know probably like last year or you know, early last year, it was so hard to get into the rhythm and I never used to have that problem, but I was like oh wow I have no ideas.
0: I have no ideas. you were convinced that you couldn't become a writer or a director because you were out of ideas.
1: yeah, I'm so glad you actually brought this up because this is um wow, yeah, this is it's funny to me now that I actually thought that way because now I have I feel like I have so many ideas that I can't keep up with them because oh my
0: God, I love to hear that. <laughs>
1: Because I've been doing the work. Now, when I first sat down to, to do, you know, um, just even a, a little bit of writing, it was hard. It was very hard. You know, I was like, all right, I'm going to do three hours of writing today. And then, you know, w- w- going through the program, you were like, you're going to set yourself up for failure that way. <laughs> so I was like, okay. Uh, and you're like, what's the easiest thing that you can do? So, and, you know, I said, put the notebook by uh, on the breakfast table so I can write down some notes. So I did that. And then it, from there, it went to, I'm going to write for, um, 10 minutes today. Even if I feel like I can do more, it's just going to be 10 minutes. And then quickly that became 30 minutes. And then from there it was like, okay, try an hour. And this was all within two weeks, I would say. Yeah. I was
0: going to say, this was week two when we talked about what's the easiest win that gets this started. And I said, just put a notebook next to your, your cereal bowl. You're like, really? like that's it like yeah that's where we started right
1: yeah well uh, yeah and and it's funny too because i I remember thinking that's so small though that's not going to do anything yeah and thinking back on that now i was so wrong (laughs) because that's the start of it and then it snowballs so yeah it it, as small as it sounds that's the beginning part of the strategy Mm.
0: to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me topo. That's T-O-P-O. So you were still working the commercial job and granted it's the pandemic and things are you know, probably a little bit lighter than they used to be and you weren't commuting. But at the same time, even if you had pockets of uh, area in your calendar during the day where you could have been doing it, you didn't believe that I actually had the capacity to do it. But then you just – you started these little pieces and like you said, that built some momentum – And then we threw gasoline on it with a tool called Trello. So talk to me a little bit about how Trello has changed your process, because you have taken this and run with it like wildfire.
1: Yeah, it's weird because when I first started using Trello and learning about it, and and I've never told you this, but I was like, give me a break. I have to prepare to prepare to write. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, but you know what? Zach knows what he's talking about. So I'm going to trust the process. But I thought it was insane because, you know, there are so many people who are, uh, you know, I see, oh, productivity, Evernote and uh, all these different things, you know, Trello and calendars. And I was just like, it's all of it is just prepping and scheduling to do the work. Why not just sit down and do the work? Then I thought, well, you're not sitting down and doing the work. So listen to Zach and do the first step. So I did. And yeah, Trello at first it it was a little complicated to, to figure out like, you know, how to structure it and everything um, according to the, uh, your method. But then once you learn it and do it, now it's like second nature. And every day I'm in there just, you know, like making a, a checklist basically, and then taking those things and putting them on my calendar, blocking out the time for them. And, you know, now it's like, holy crap. It's like, it actually works
0: <laughs> and and like you alluded to, anybody who wants to see some uh, writer productivity porn, just go to your uh, your Facebook page and just scroll through it every day now and you even put a hashtag accountability here's my Trello board here are the pages I wrote this was the goal today I didn't quite reach the goal I surpassed the goal, but I have a running diary of your writing process right on your Facebook page
1: and actually that's why I did it because um, and that's why I post it because it keeps me accountable I, I don't you know, I don't really, like, I feel kind of weird when people will see my Trello board and my calendar and, you know, they'll be like, oh, that's what's on there. You know, I'm like, what else is on there? But, um, the, the reason why I post it is because I, I want to have for myself too a record and, and you know how Facebook kind of shows like, you know, this is what you were doing a year ago. I want to, I want to be able to look back and go, oh yeah, you know, I was working on that script then or whatever. But, um, It also keeps me accountable because I know um, I've had a few people comment and reach out and say, Hey, you know, you were, you, uh, you're working on the script, uh, you know, what's it about and blah, blah, blah. And then I know that, um, if I stop posting, they'll say, Hey, whatever happened to that script you were working on? And the last thing I want to do is come back with an excuse saying, Oh, well, you know, I got busy, but I'll jump back into it soon. I just, you know, I have to, Find the time, you know.
0: Life got in the way, right? Life just gets in the way. It happens.
1: That's why I I I post that stuff so that people will see it, and you know, there's the the potential of people holding me accountable. So I'm like, you know, I'm doing this trick where if you know I I can hold myself accountable, but other people are going to hold me accountable too because they're seeing what I'm doing, and then if I don't have any more you know news on it, then they'll ask me, and then you know, if I say, oh, well, you know, I'll get back to it. That's that's not where I want to be, you know, so.
0: Right, which is exactly why you didn't learn Trello on week one. You learned your tendency and you realize I'm an obliger. And if I'm going to follow through, I need some form of external accountability. And you decide it's going to be Facebook because you know that that works best for you. Because what a lot of people will say is, oh, God, I'm an obliger. And I say yes to everybody. Can you help me fix that? Can you help me undo it? No, I can't. It's who you are. And I, I want you to embrace that. But I want you to learn strategies, turn it into your superpower as opposed to your kryptonite. And now, you know, I'm an obliger. I accept it. And one of the tools in my toolbox is I need external accountability. And now Facebook is helping you write that script.
1: You know, it's funny. I didn't even realize that. I'm pulling a lot of strings (laughs) here. (laughs) The enlightenment just continues. (laughs) Well, speaking of enlightenment, and another one of the
0: things that I want to bring up or uh, revisit from earlier in our conversation is that it's not as simple as, I put the notebook down, and I wrote down my first few ideas, and it was hard, but then the ideas started to come, and then I learned Trello, and now I'm writing five, ten pages a day. There's a big, giant component in between those two things that we had to work through, which was the fear of saying no to the next opportunity. Because if you said yes to everything that came your way over the last few months, would you have had the time to do all the writing that you're doing? No. 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 And not. as we already alluded to, you remove that fear. I, I don't want to say remove, but you um, vastly alleviated that fear because you identified the one thing. If I just attack this one thing, it's all going to start to come into play. And that was I got to figure out my finances.
1: Yeah. And I didn't even know that was the problem which is it was insane. I just I I had no idea. The fear was always there, but I just didn't know how much it was uh, you know affecting my 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 day-to-day life. So you when you pointed it out, I was like, "Oh god, now I have to work on that. I have another thing I have to work on." So yeah, it w- it was it was crazy. Finding the root of the problem.
0: So once we found the root, and it took a little while to get there, probably took us a month or two. And you were kind of going back and forth and just examining what are the different fears? What are the obstacles? What kind of a a tendency do I have? I think I'm an obliger. But then as soon as it kind of stuck and I could see the week that the look in your eye was like, I know what it is now. I think, I don't know the exact timeline, but it was within days. Okay, so I bought uh, the the Profit First book by Mike Pekalowicz, and I bought I Will Teach You to Be Rich by Ramit Sethi, and I've gone through all of them, and I've started organizing my bank accounts. I'm like, oh yeah, this guy's going to be just fine. <laughs> so go a little bit deeper into some of the practical steps that people listening might be able to take if they were in a similar position. And I, we can't get too deep into the weeds, but just some basic steps that you had no idea that you should be doing that made a huge impact on alleviating this fear that I can't say no to jobs.
1: Yeah, just a lot of it is when it came to the finances, it was just dividing up every single paycheck that came in to different different bank accounts that have different jobs. So for instance, like you would take 15% of every single paycheck and put that into your investments or whatever percent, you know, you want to do, whether it's 10, whatever, you know, whatever you feel comfortable with. Um, And then, you know, part of the the finances would go into a savings account. Part of it would go into a profit account. And then part of it would be for spending and, and spending as far as like, you know, just random things like going out to eat and, you know, if you want to buy, I don't know, new sneakers or something like that, it's like guilt-free spending. And then there, there's an account for expenses. So yeah, I have... I have—I don't even know how many bank accounts I have now. There's, you know, there there are at least I want to say four checking accounts, and two or three savings accounts, and a money market account. (laughs) You know, there's just so many different accounts, or something like that. Um, and and that was the key thing for me was just to divide up the finances, and. You know, instead of going, oh, well, you know, I made, you know, this much money on this job, I can buy a new light, I can buy a new camera, you know, I just got to the point, and, you know, it was during the program where I got to the point where I was like, I don't need any more cameras, I don't want any more cameras, you know, like, you know, do we really need 6 8K, 12K, 14K, all that stuff? I always felt like I had to keep up with the latest thing, and that wasn't doing my career any justice at all like it it did nothing for me so by dividing up my finances i realized like you know it put an end to that immediately and i and i just you know realized okay well this is how much i have to spend on you know just random things so if i want to buy a camera it's going to come out of this account but you know having the finances divided up you can see you know you have this much money in your you know, frivolous uh, spending account. Do you really want to spend that on the next camera that you don't need? And, you know, r- rather than having one huge chunk in one checking account, you have it divided up and it just, you know, the, it, your, your judgment is actually better because of that. So you're not, you're not, you're not spending on stupid things.
0: Exactly. And the, the other thing that I've noticed in going through this process is I'm always thinking not just about the cost of something monetarily, But any fairly major purchase, it's also costing me freedom because without that money in my account, I have less time to say no to the wrong opportunities. And that was a big thing for you is when you started to put the numbers together. For a lot of people, I want to make this very clear. If you look at the numbers and you have to say yes to the wrong jobs to put food on the table and pay your your bills, no shame in that whatsoever. But you discovered very quickly I'm only saying no out of fear because the numbers tell me I need to be saying no a lot more often.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it was. You know, I was saying, I was saying yes to jobs that I hated, like rotoscoping jobs. And I don't even, you know, visual effects is something that I just do on in, in my own films, but I never wanted to get into that, and especially not something like rotoscoping because that is like my God, like, it's painful, you know, and and object removal and screen replacements and things like that, you know, like logo removal on, on sneakers when someone picks them up. It's like, I, I always wanted to say yes to everything that came to me. And just, you know, knowing how much was in my account and, and how much, you know, how much uh, runway I had. Now I can confidently say, no, I don't need to do that job. So don't say yes to it because you need to write your script.
0: Exactly. Cause that and that's the thing. That's what the if there's a major mindset shift that I try to teach people. When you say yes to something, you have to identify everything you're saying no to. Because if I say yes to the next huge TV editing opportunity, I have to say no to a lot of stuff, which is why I've become so selective. And the the perfect opportunity, the dream package for me is Cobra Kai. It's the reason it's the only show that I edit anymore. And I say no to everybody else because creatively I'm a total nerd. Just love the show. Like Karate Kid was my Star Wars. I've told everybody like I'm such a nerd because it's, it's almost like the popcorn version of all this enlightenment, self-improvement stuff that I talk about anyway. It's just the, the popularized fun version of it with karate and jokes and, you know, 80s nostalgia. But beyond that, I have complete autonomy of my time. That doesn't mean that I spend two hours a day working on Cobra Kai. I, it's, it's a bitch. It's a hard show. But I told him flat out, I need autonomy of my time. As long as I can kind of work as I please and meet your deadlines and meet your expectations, then this is a good fit. And I'm like, hell yes, we don't care. Do your thing, All right? So in that sense, it's also a good fit. But I say no to everything else because the cost is my time, my freedom, my health, my well-being when I'm with my family because that stuff is all-consuming. But people never think about those costs. They think about this is what I'm getting when I say Yes. What are you saying no to? And you were saying no to the creative ideas that belonged to you that were yours that you could execute. And you were saying no to those or saying yes to the other things and saying no to that for a long
1: time. Right, right. And what what's shocking too to me now looking back at it, I see that it, it's not just the time. It actually was um, a, a creativity suck where I was so exhausted because, you know, my commute into New York City is with no traffic, it's 45 minutes, but there's never no traffic, you know? <laughs> so it was always two to two and a half hours, maybe three hours in the morning, and then at least an hour home. And so after a 10 hour day, adding that on top of it, there is no time and energy left to, to even have your own creative ideas. And I was just in this cycle where um, it, it wasn't just pulling my time away from, from me, it was pulling my creativity away from me too. And that's why I thought I had no ideas because I just didn't have the energy and I didn't have the time to sit around and watch something that might spark an idea. So it was bad for both time and creativity. And it, looking back on that now and, and, and realizing that is pretty shocking to me.
0: Well, I can't wait to see where that realization is going to take us when we have this podcast interview in about three years from now, <laughs> uh, which is going to be the segue to the next portion of our conversation. So if I do a very quick review... You came to me, I accidentally climbed to the top of the wrong ladder because I said yes over and over and over. We started to dig in and you realize that yes is your default answer. It's the way you're wired, you're an obliger. For me, yes is a lot easier thing to to avoid because I'm mostly rebel and questioner. But I I still wanna say yes to the right things and I've said yes to a lot of things I shouldn't have, but it's your default setting and it's really hard to rewire. But we identified yes is a really difficult word for you to avoid, but we've understood why you're saying it. One of the root causes is fear of financial failure, fear of financial ruin. I never want to get something repossessed from me again. I never want to feel that pit in my stomach. We started to slowly remove that, throw in some financial systems. All of a sudden, you start saying no to the wrong opportunities. You go into your little notebook. You start generating ideas that, holy shit, these are my ideas. Where are they coming from? Snowball starts to careen downhill. We throw gasoline on the fire with Trello. You're a writing machine. But, oh, now I got to reach out to people (laughs) and I got to introduce myself and I've got to build a network and like make relationships. I can't do that. So let's let's talk about the transition to that portion of the program for you, because this this has been a a tough one for everybody. And once again, you run with it. But I want to go back to where we first started and how you felt about reaching out and building these relationships and creating opportunities as opposed to having them come to you
1: yeah oh God. Um, I mean, I'm still going through it right now, and it's it is it is scary. It is one of the scariest things that I have ever done. I think it's just it's terrifying to me it's just reaching out because I feel like I'm a nobody and I'm reaching out to someone who is you know super successful in their in their career and it's like, oh, God, why, why am I on this call? Do they even really want to talk to me? What am I doing? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very scary thing for me. So
0: having said that, let's start at the beginning of this process. You are terrified to reach out because, frankly, who am I to bother this person? You even said it yourself. I'm a nobody. Why? Why would anybody want to help me? What have you learned so far that has maybe not helped you eradicate this fear, and we're going to go through some of the, the more succinct, concrete steps, and I want to talk about the, the latest win that you've actually just had this week, at least as of recording this interview. But let's start
1: with where you started. Where I started? I wasn't doing anything. I was, as far as uh, outreach, I was, well, as far as, you know, directing. Uh, I was not doing any outreach at all. That's where I started. <laughs>
0: and from there... You came into my program, and what did I tell you needed to fundamentally change? What's the fundamental mindset shift that that's we started with? Did I tell you on week one? Here's the template for you to copy paste to start sending people emails.
1: No, no, it wasn't that. It was the mindset shift of um, you can provide value to people even if you think you can't because you know whatever it is, they're they're at a high level, you know, they're a big director or whatever producer, you can still provide value to them. It's just, you know, you have to do, you have to do it right.
0: So on that note, to do it right, how long did it take you to write and send one email?
1: Oh God. Was it two weeks, three weeks or something like that? Was it longer than that? Well,
0: to write and send was actually six weeks.
1: Six weeks. Okay. Yeah.
0: <laughs> six weeks. Because remember, the process doesn't start with, I open Google Mail and I hit the compose button and I start writing. There is a whole lot that went into it before. The first step was, I have to reshape my mindset that I'm not bothering this person if I can provide value and make their life better first. Right. But then we talked about, well- yeah, but who can I do that with? Like, there's a million people I could reach out to and I'm a nobody and I just do um, editing and color correction and rotoscoping. Like, I can't reach out to big name directors. So one of the first things you did was you did research. So talk to me a little bit about your research process and who it was that we identified that you felt like, God, in a perfect world, shocks it sure would be amazing if I talked to this person. Talk to me a little bit about
1: that. So the research was picking... And you want to get like very specific. I want to dive
0: right into the weeds. Yep. Okay.
1: It was picking your favorite shows and uh, identifying their, di- well, for me it would be directors on, on those shows. And then you have this really awesome spreadsheet. So what we do is we, we cut and paste their info and, you know, things that they've done and the, the spreadsheet works out a score and whoever's at the top of the list is it, the basically the spreadsheet identifies who you should contact. And then you don't really, s- there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes in the spreadsheet. So you don't see a lot of, uh, of that stuff, I guess. Um, but then you start to realize like, wow, yeah, that's right. This guy is the perfect person. Cause for me, it identified someone who was uh, moved up from assistant editor to editor and then to director. So that is kind of along the same path that, that I am uh, traveling where I'm an editor and I'm trying to transition or sorry, not trying to, I am. Another mindset (laughs) shift. I want,
0: I want you to say that one more time because I've beaten this into your brain and I didn't have to correct you this time. So say that again without me interrupting you.
1: Yeah. So I am an editor currently transitioning to director in scripted television and film.
0: You're no longer trying, hoping, maybe like all a bunch of shit in your head that doesn't need to be there. So you are making the transition. So sorry, go on.
1: Yeah. So it, the spreadsheet identified someone who basically traveled that same path, uh, or a similar path. And that was the person I reached out to.
0: And one of the things that you told me at the very, very beginning of this process in your introductory call is I feel like I have wasted so much time because I didn't know the path. I just mm-hmm. took this job and that job, and I had no idea what the path is. And I need to figure out the path. I don't know your path, but if you can find somebody as close to walking the path that you have, then they might be able to help you along the way. I believe there's a word for somebody that guides you along those paths. What are they called?
1: A mentor.
0: <laughs> They're called mentors. What's another word for them that we talk about in the program?
1: Oh, a uh, Sherpa.
0: Yes. So you, you needed to find a Sherpa. I would consider myself a mentor to you, but I can't be your Sherpa because I have not walked the path that you want to walk next. So we identified who is your Sherpa. And all you did is put in a whole bunch of names and IMDb and added criteria significant to your specific goals. It's not going to work for everybody with the same criteria, but based on shows you enjoy and people you've connected with or whatever it might be, a name just came right to the
1: top of that list. Whose name was that? Uh, uh, so you want, you want me to mention him? <laughs> Hell yeah. I want to I I okay. dive
0: right into it, man. <laughs> um,
1: oh, yeah. His, his name is Dan Liu. He is uh, – Now a, uh, you know, he was an uh, an assistant on The Walking Dead and then he became an editor and then he became a director. And now he is directing on, you know, bigger, um, you know, a lot of uh, the bigger shows that are out now um, and some of some shows that actually haven't come out yet. So he's like kind of exploding right now. And it's that was who I reached out to. I have spent almost 10 years now
0: raving about how much I love my topo mat. And I have finally discovered what I now consider the topomat mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q O R is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair.
1: When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off. It's an easy bar to clear.
0: For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades. You're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day.
1: And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For the those of us who need to practically
0: live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game, keep your body moving, and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topomat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me/slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me/slash QOR360. So, let me get this straight. You direct one short film like 10, 15 years ago that has something to do with zombies and George A. Romero. And now you think that you can reach out to Dan Liu, who's directing The Walking Dead and bigger shows. Like, who do you think you are? Aren't you just going to be bothering this guy? Like, why
1: even bother? It's the the whole the thing we talked about about the uh, mindset shift is that there's a reason why people like, you know, especially us in, in this creative field there's a reason why we do what we do. You know, we want to affect people, whether it's emotionally or just entertain them or whatever it is. So you can reach out to someone and provide value um, just by saying like, hey, your career path has inspired me. Or in this episode, when you did this, it, it, it really, you know, inspired me. And, and I thought it was like such a great moment or, you know, it, it made me cry or whatever it was. Um, and you're providing value to them because you're, I mean, you're essentially giving them what they, what they, the reason why they, they do this is, you know, to, to, to evoke emotion and entertain people. So you're, you're letting them know that you were personally affected by their work. And that is a way of providing value. Really? It's that simple. Come on. It
0: it cannot be that easy. That seems ridiculous. Like you, you didn't tell the guy you're going to mow his lawn for a month or anything. Like you just have to tell him you're inspired by his work. Come on. It's you know what? This all sounds good in theory, but it it can not actually lead to results. Right.
1: That's, that's what I thought too. I was like, well, that's it. And then, you know, I tried to, I put myself in, in, in his shoes and I said, well, what if someone reached out to me and they said that, you know, and they commented on my work and they said, hey, I was really, you know, inspired by your work. And, you know, first of all, for, you know, for me, if I, if someone said they were inspired by my work, that to me is like, holy shit. you know, like, really? I affected you that much? When you provide value to someone by saying that, you know, their work inspires you or it, it affected you emotionally. Yeah, I mean, that's all it really you know, that that it's one way of doing it, but it, it's an effective way of doing it.
0: Let's talk about results because this all sounds great in theory and it all sounds great for an ultimate guide to get people to, you know, join an email list. Hmm. But let's talk about results. This is the part that I'm really excited about. So you mentioned this idea that you took weeks to write this message. And I want to talk about something that uh, we talked about either it was in today's class or maybe it was yesterday in the hot seat. I can't remember. But how much time did you spend after drafting, providing value, you workshopped this thing to death, and then you knew, all I have to do is click the send button. I want to talk about that experience a little bit. Let's share with the audience, what was that like, looking at the computer, getting ready to hit the send button to Dan
1: Liu? One word, terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) So paint the picture for me. Okay. So I finished the email. You know, we workshop it. Um, I I post it in the group, you know, people there provide feedback. I implement that feedback and then I, you know, I I do a hot seat session, you know, we we workshop it. Um, I actually, even before that, so let me start from the very beginning is I write the email. Then uh, during one of the classes, you said, does anyone have their email ready? And so I raised my hand and then, you know, we workshopped it there. And it was like, it was huge. It was like a page long and I I knew it had to be cut down. Um, So it got, you know, the, the, the ax there. Um, And then I posted it, you know, I made some modifications, posted it in the group. People gave me their feedback. And then I also did a hot seat session where we took it further and I, we picked apart the actual email and then the response. And then, I was like, okay, it's time to send it. And I copied and pasted it into Gmail. And then I sat there for 20 minutes, go reading it over and over and over again. And I modified like one or two more things. And I was like, okay, dude, you've been sitting here for 20 minutes. You have other things on your calendar. You know, you got the alert, you know, you have to start writing your script and just send the damn email. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I gotta do it. So I sent the email and then, 19 minutes later, I got a response saying, hey, yeah, sure. I'd be happy to answer any questions. Let's jump on a Zoom call. And then when I got that, first, my first thing was like, oh, my God, this is why I don't reach out to people. (laughs) And I just freaked out a little bit. And then I was like, okay. Well, you have to do it now. So let's go. Let's do it. So I wrote back um, within 10 minutes and we scheduled a a Zoom call.
0: So one of the things I want to dig into a little bit deeper here that I think is really important for people that didn't see the multi-week process to get you to hit the send button. Did you ask him if he had time for a Zoom call?
1: No, I didn't actually. I asked him if it was okay for me to reach out and ask him questions through email uh one or two questions through email and he he came back immediately with his response of you know let's jump on a zoom call and what more could you want? You know?
0: <laughs> and I, I can't remember if it was your email or not, because I, I workshop a, a lot of these over the course of any given week. But I know it was with our class. It was either with our class, it might have been in a breakout room, right? It might have been a hot seat. But at least one or two people in their first draft had said, if you have time available, would you be okay setting up a call to jump on Zoom so I could ask you some questions? And what did I tell them?
1: Don't put that in there. Ask if you, you know, uh, ask permission if you can reach out. But Maybe I forget, you know, you said something like 60, 50 percent of the time or something like that. Um, they'll ask you to jump on a Zoom call.
0: If you make the ask less, they're going to offer to you what you would have asked anyway. The, the whole purpose of that first message is just to start the conversation to get a response. And the question I ask you guys over and over and over, we break this down sentence by sentence. Does this sentence – make it more or less likely they're going to respond? Does this sentence make it more or less likely they will respond? And we said, if you're going to have in your final question, I would like to set up a Zoom call versus could I ask you a question or two? Which one raises the likelihood of getting a response? Clearly, it's making it simpler. But I also said, and it could have been to you or to whomever else it was, if you just have the smallest ask, most likely they're going to offer the call, which takes all of the pressure off of you to feel like you're bothering them because they offer it. Right. And then that happened to you. And I think it happened to two other people in our group the same week. They're like, (laughs) I got a call too. I didn't ask for it. Yeah. (laughs) The the key is you got to ask for as little as possible by providing value first and asking just a little tiny bit in return. And usually
1: people are more than willing to help. Yeah. And and plus you don't want to make them feel like, you know, if they get a message and they're like, oh, can, can we jump on a Zoom call? Then you know, they might be like, you know, I would love to, but I'm in the middle of like 20 things, you know, for the next month. And I just don't know if I'm going to have the time. And then, you know, a lot of people, they just don't want to say no, or they'll, they'll go, oh, well, I'll get back to this. Maybe I can find time. You know, it, it, it just takes the pressure off of them because um, if they don't, you know, if they don't actually have time to do a Zoom call, at least um they'll say, "Yeah, you know, feel free to send you know your questions, and I'll answer through email it's, and and that's fine too.
0: There's one other component that I think made you get a response in 19 minutes. And I think it's hilarious that you spent more time deliberating hitting the send button than it took to get a response. There's something about the math of that that's just magic. I really spent fun. 20 minutes. If you just hit the send button, you would have gotten your message one minute before you actually hit the send button. So I, <laughs> I, I love the way that that adds up. But the point being that let's say that you provided all this wonderful and personal value and you were reaching out with a question or two. Would he have been likely to respond if he didn't understand where you are and how he can help you?
1: No, probably not because they, you know, if you said, well, can I just reach out with a question or two? They're like, well, I mean, I know nothing about you, so I don't even know if I can actually help. So it lessens the, if they don't know enough about you, then it lessens the chance of you getting a response.
0: Exactly. And that's an area that we workshopped ad nauseum for weeks. I am a firm believer. I've said it over and over and I'll say it again. I believe that everybody, maybe not universally every single person, but in general, I think everybody wants to help everybody else. The problem is you haven't made it clear how somebody can help you because it's all about me, 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 as opposed to I want to provide value and in return, here's a little bit more about me as it relates to you and your journey. And this is exactly where I could use some advice or where I'm stuck. We spent forever just on like those few sentences. But as we got clarity for it, took us all of 19 minutes for Dan Liu to say, I'm in the middle of a huge show right now and I'm on set and I'm dealing with this and this and this, but I can totally help this guy and I can do it fast. And the fastest and easiest way is let's just get on a Zoom call. So I'm assuming that that's going to happen at some point in the future when uh, Dan is available and maybe you'll reach out in a month or two, right? You'll get a chance to talk to Dan?
1: (laughs) Yeah, that actually actually, happened last night. (laughs) Oh, wait, hold on a second. You've had a call the same week that you sent the message? Yeah, uh, it was funny because he was like, yeah, I can can, uh, jump on a Zoom call after 6 p.m um, uh, you know, anytime this week. So I was like, okay, cool. And I didn't want to be like, oh, well, how's tonight? You know? So I (laughs) wanted to give a little bit of time. So I was like, well, um, how's tomorrow or, uh, Thursday or Friday. And he was like, tomorrow works.
0: So let me ask you a question. Did Dan seem like he was standing on an ivory tower and you had absolutely no business bothering or talking to this person? Or did you discover that? Oh, Dan's just a guy and he's working hard, just like I am trying to figure all this out.
1: I mean, you know, obviously he's a, an extremely talented guy, but you psych yourself out. And when you start going like, Oh my God, you know, I'm reaching out to this person and I'm a nobody and they're not going to want to talk to me. Yeah. I mean, he's just a normal, normal guy, you know, <laughs> and just, just like everyone else. It's like, they have the same worries and fears and, and some of the the things that he told me about his journey. It, it, it's, you know, enlightening because you see some of the things um, that he went through and you're like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm going through that, too. So, yeah, it, it, you know, the, the main thing is that you psych yourself out and there's no reason to do that.
0: The biggest question that I always have when somebody reaches out via email, they have a Zoom call, whatever it might be, it's awesome that you got a response and it's super cool that you got to talk to Dan, but ultimately at the end of the call or the end of the email exchange, none of it really matters unless you got good actionable advice and you know what's next. So having talked to Dan, do you have clarity and more confidence about what comes next on your path to get closer to where he is now?
1: Yes, I do. There are things that he brought up that I didn't even think of, that I didn't know that I was eligible for, and it wasn't just you know saying to him, "Hey, how do I do this?" It was more so like asking him questions about his journey, so that I can find the answers in his story. That was the most enlightening part about it um, was that was seeing what he went through and pulling you know uh things that that i find i guess uh useful to to my own journey that was more useful than than asking hey you know how do i do this or how do i do that you know it was, it 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 gave me more clarity than just straight up asking for a specific advice.
0: Yeah, and I, that's a, an approach that we taught in the program that I want to make very clear to everybody is a really important approach with anybody you want to build a relationship with. I think that we have the tendency to think they're an expert and I need to seek their expertise. But I don't think Dan Liu thinks he's an expert. He is for you because Dan is on the exact same path or very similar path as you. He's a few years ahead. So in your tiny little world, Dan is your expert. But I don't think Dan would say that he's an expert. If you treat them as such and you ask them, what, what's the best advice you could give me to be successful in my directing career? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Dude, I'm trying to figure out my own life. I, I don't want to give you bad advice and feel guilty. So that's when you end up getting really generic advice. But instead, you said, you know what? I'm going to be a journalist. I just want to learn about Dan and I want to get Dan to talk about himself.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, like I said, th- the stories that he told me were way more useful, um, as far as like from a confidence perspective and also from, uh, a, a, a practical s- strategical approach. Um, just seeing what he did, it provided answers f- for my own journey.
0: And the key word here, and this kind of is going to wrap it all up in a nice neat little bow for me is the word confidence. So that was going to be kind of my, my final official question is if you were to look at your confidence now, about whether or not you're going to succeed as a director versus where you were six months ago. Talk about the before and after difference in your
1: confidence. Oh, God. Um, yeah, it's funny. Um, th- like just even looking back at six months ago, because back then it it really felt like I I just, I didn't think that I started believing all these things and I didn't think that I would even really have a shot at it, just because I didn't know what to do. I was like, well, maybe I'm not really cut out for this, because I don't have any ideas. And, and I just, I just don't have the time to do it. And I don't, I just can't see myself ever, you know, breaking out of the cycle that I'm in. And then now, I don't want to sound arrogant or whatever. But I feel that if I play my cards, right, it's probably just a matter of time. You know, so it's, you know, obviously I have to put in the work, but I know that for me, that never really has been the issue. It's just finding the things for me that I have to improve and improving them and, you know, just keep on taking steps forward. And
0: can you control the amount of effort that you put in? Oh yeah. Damn right. You can. can. Can you control the timing under which this is all going to happen for
1: you? No, not really. I mean, nope you know, no, I mean, overall, no, you can't, but you can control the amount of effort that you put in. And when the time is right, it'll happen.
0: That's right. And it's not going to just come to you. You will have created it.
1: Right. It's not just like, okay, well, when the time is right, I'm going to sit back, you know, for now I'm just going to sit back. And when the time's right, someone's going to magically pluck me out of obscurity and I'm going to become the next hot director. It's like, no, no, that's not the approach. The approach is put in the work, do you know, put in all the work and the effort that you can. And when the time is right, that's when it'll happen.
0: And that's when you get to become an overnight
1: success. (laughs) Yeah. Through years and
0: years of hard work and focus and dedication and reprioritization and saying no and reorganizing your life, you land that opportunity and everybody says, Paul is an overnight success. And you say, thank you so much. I appreciate
1: it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Look at my Facebook.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's a great response. Yeah. Go ahead and look at my Facebook.
1: Yeah. And then you'll see overnight success, you know? (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's hilarious. Uh, So are there any other questions that I haven't asked or anything else that's important for you to discuss or bring up about this whole journey before we wrap for today?
1: I think that that really covers it.
0: All right, so then final piece of advice. We have the next Paul Delvecchio. He's listening right now and he's thinking, oh my God, this is me. Because there was a time when you listened to a podcast not so long ago and you said, oh my God, this is me. There's another Paul, I guarantee this listening right now. And they're thinking, it It sounds like this might be something I want to do and it could be helpful, but I'm scared. I just, I, I don't know if I should do this. Maybe it's not the right time or, you know, it's not the right fit or, you know, it's an investment. What do you tell the Paul that's listening right now that's <laughs> saying, this is me, but I don't know what to do?
1: Yeah, let me tell you about it not being the right time because <laughs> it wasn't the right time for me for 10 years. and then. I forced myself to do this. I forced myself to join the program and take steps because I knew, you know, 10 years, it's been 10 years. If it was going to happen, you know, it would have already happened probably. So I would say you have to actively put in the effort and run towards the fear. And, you know, if you want this to happen, then you have to find someone to either guide you and uh, then take the steps to um, to make it happen, or you could you know, just go back to doing what you're doing and hoping that someone will pluck you out of obscurity because it has happened, right? I mean, it has happened, but what's the more interesting story that you really want to tell? Oh yeah, someone handed me an opportunity and I got lucky, or this is what I did and these are the <laughs> steps that I took. Go look at the proof. You know, I put in all the hard work and I feel like I put in all the effort and, and I earned it.
0: So you earned it. That's the key. You earned it. And I I also have a a future t-shirt idea that I'm going to steal from you. Run towards the fear, right? I could tattoo that on my forehead. That's the story of my flipping life right now.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what I've learned from you that, you know, certain things you brought up and I was like, oh my God, we really have to do that. Are you kidding me? And then I was like, you know what? you run towards the fear. (laughs) That's it. That's all you have to do.
0: Well, and, and here's where running towards the fear has gotten you so far. And I cannot wait to revisit this conversation in a year and three years and five years, like um, with the amount of effort and focus and intensity you're putting into this, I have no doubt this is going to happen. I don't know when, but I have no doubt that it's going to happen. It's all going to come together.
1: It's a scary thought for me, actually, to think about that, because just seeing how far I've come in six months, you know, yeah, like three years is wow. It's like it's scary. It's scary thinking about that.
0: And and it should be. But I want it to be nervous scary. I want it to be good scary. Oh, yeah. Lean into the fear, scary. Right. Yes. So that, that's what I'm excited about. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, it, at, at the end of the day, um, I may have helped to mentor and answer a few questions here and there, and recommend a book or show a few tricks in trello. But ultimately, you did all of this. The very first thing I say in video one on day one. There's two people in this program, two people on this call right now. Only one of us can help you. And spoiler alert, it's not me. So you're here because of the effort that you put in and the focus and the time and the learning and the intensity. So I just want to make it very clear that you made this
1: happen, not me. I was just there to shorten your learning curve a little bit. That's all. You you say that's all like it's, uh, you know, oh, yeah, that's it. But it is a huge part of it for sure, I think, in my opinion.
0: Well, I appreciate that. Uh, so on that note, um, as uh, somebody that focuses on time management, I do want to be very, very respectful of your time. Um, but lastly, if anybody listening to this is inspired by your journey, and I guarantee you there's at least one new Paul out there that's listening, if he wants to connect with you, he wants to learn more from you, he wants to send you some good outreach and provide you some value, what's the best way to connect with you directly?
1: Um, email. Uh, you can reach me at paul at pauldv.net. And then on uh Twitter, you could do at Paul DV. And then that's also the same for Facebook. And then Instagram is P-D-E-L-V.
0: I love it. All right. Well, I have a feeling you're going to get at least one or two outreach messages in your new future. And uh, knowing uh, how to read the matrix behind the outreach message, you'll know whether or not it's good or bad outreach. <laughs> but I, I will warn anybody that wants to reach out to Paul, you should at least look into the insider's guide to writing a great outreach email because Paul's going to know if your outreach isn't good. He knows the formula <laughs> now. Um, so, you know, I, I wouldn't rush and I would give yourself some time to... To to connect with Paul, but I I
1: have no doubt that Paul, you too would be willing to to help other people that are in a similar position as you. Oh yeah, for sure. And yeah, you know, it sounds scary. It's like, oh, Paul's going to know, but just, you know, it's, I wouldn't feel too afraid.
0: (laughs) Paul's a regular guy that just wants to help other regular guys. That's all. We're all in the same boat together. Yes, we are. So on that note, I cannot thank you enough for being so honest and open and most importantly, putting in all of the effort to earn the position to be on this podcast today. So I really appreciate that. Thank you.
1: And thank you for having me. This has been a lot of fun.
0: Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show.